Good morning, brothers and sisters. Our Lord in the gospel today is trying to teach us to put greater faith in him. That's why he begins by telling the disciples that they should not be afraid any longer. And that's kind of a complete statement. He's not saying about some things, just there's no reason to be afraid of anything any longer. And he calls us his little flock. And the reason we shouldn't be afraid of anything any longer, he says, is because your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, of course, he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Now, ultimately, that's salvation. That's life for eternity with him in heaven. But it's even the kingdom of heaven here on earth, in his church, and in her sacraments. And it's in these things that our Lord wants us to put our faith. Now, if we have our greatest faith in these gifts, then we won't be afraid of things. The challenge that we have is we're still anxious and concerned, like Martha, about many things in this world. Politics, economics, you name it, right? Fill in the blank. We're anxious and worried about so many things. And it's not because we don't have faith in Christ. It's that our faith in Christ has not been perfected. So we're given today, in this second reading, from the letter to the Hebrews. It's really a beautiful expose on faith, how we as disciples of our Lord need to think of God and act according to our beliefs. Faith, first and foremost, we know is a gift from God. We receive it as a grace in the sacrament of baptism, and it's strengthened in the rest of the sacraments of the church, especially confirmation. But faith initially is this gift, and it enables us to believe what God has revealed to us that is beyond our normal comprehension. For example, a basic tenet of faith is that God is a trinity. There's nothing in nature that reveals this objectively. This is a deep mystery of who God is, and he has revealed this to us in and through his Son. And we can actually believe this because of the gift of faith. So faith, first and foremost, as a gift, we receive from the church in her teachings, but ultimately from the grace of the sacraments, one for us in Jesus Christ. But after this gift has been given to us, we have this obligation to increase or to grow in our faith. There is an important rule in the spiritual life, the saints teach, that there, there is no standing still in the spiritual life. You're either moving forward or you're falling back. That doesn't mean you don't get a break now and then on a bad day. I just mean, generally speaking, if we're not striving to grow in our faith, even in small ways, incrementally, then we are actually losing faith or slipping away. Now, living your faith each day is a type of growth. It's like uh, exercising your muscles. You might not be building bigger muscles, but you're at least exercising them. They're going to stay strong, but they won't necessarily improve much. But the moment you stop engaging this gift of faith, the truths that have been revealed to you, given to you, and strengthened in the sacraments, the moment you stop engaging them, it starts to slip away. More often than not, people say to me, Father, I've really been struggling with my faith. And a very simple question I have to ask initially is, when was the last time you went to confession? Are you in any grave or mortal sin? I would probably say nine out of ten times the answer is yes. Well, no wonder you're struggling with your faith. You don't have the grace necessary to keep you strong and to help you 
fight the good fight. You're not living in the grace, the sacraments of the church. How can you maintain this supernatural gift? It's not run on natural energies. It's only the life of Christ in us that can maintain true faith. So within the sacraments, that's where we begin. How am I doing on my sacraments? The next question I always ask is, okay, what's your daily prayer life? Oh, well, I mean, I don't pray exactly every day. Okay, how often do you pray? Oh, now and then. So how many times a week? Oh, once a week maybe. That's not now and then, that's nearly never. (laughs) The basic rule of all relationship is, is communication. That's the number one thing that all the psychologists tell us, and it's true, of course. And if that's true with human relationships, it's true between us and God. If I'm not communicating with him intentionally each day, then the relationship weakens. Now, you can do that. Yes, Sunday is the day to communicate with God. We we attend Mass. We worship together. But even as families at home, you need to be praying as a family every day, even if it's just for a few minutes. But even that is not enough if you're not praying as individuals. I understand little children, as we're teaching them to, to pray, to create these habits of prayer, they're not going to necessarily pray on their own as often, not initially. So mom and dad, you're going to have to take one-on-one time and pray with them. But it's absolutely essential, striving to remain in the state of grace and daily, daily prayer. The goal Christ gives us is to pray without ceasing. That's the goal, to pray every moment of every day. That doesn't mean I've got a rosary in my hand like Mother Teresa. She would literally pray a rosary while talking with people, while doing things. She was always praying the rosary. It was a gift God gave her. That's not for everybody necessarily. But if my mind and heart are trying to remain with God in all of the activities of my life, then I'm praying. Not necessarily with words, but with love. So it is possible to pray without ceasing. It's one of the the goals we have to seek in our spiritual life. Why would we need to seek that while in this world? It seems a little impractical. Because in heaven, all you'll do is communicate with God. Heaven is eternal prayer. And your job now as a disciple is to get ready for that. To get ready to pray without ceasing for all eternity. I consider a formal prayer the backbone of the prayer life. It's the the skeletal structure that keeps up your life. If you remove somebody's bones, I mean, they they wouldn't be alive, but just theoretically, if they were alive, they'd just be a lump of tissue and organs on the ground. They couldn't do anything. So formal prayer, that's, that's that's Sunday Mass. If you can get to weekday Mass, that's wonderful too. That's regular use of the sacraments, especially confession. That's the rosary, divine mercy chaplet, scriptural reading reading the lives of the saints, all of those things, formal prayers that we can do, novenas, devotions. That's the backbone. That's the meat and potatoes of the prayer life, of a life of faith. And then as you're going throughout your day, whenever you're doing anything, just kind of randomly talk to God. Just tell him what's going on. Ask him for help. It it doesn't have to be formal. And that's the, the life of prayer lived out in normal activity. But living in the sacraments and daily prayer, these are essential to strengthen within us the gift of faith. Without faith, we cannot be saved. 
it's true. In our second reading, again from the book of Hebrews, we're given this testimony of Abraham, who is considered, as the Bible says, our father in faith. He was the first to believe, and he was justified because of his belief. Now, we know Abraham performed great actions. We're told in the reading that he was even willing to sacrifice his only son. This child that was given to him by God as a miracle, he was willing to sacrifice him. So that was an act of great trust in God, but it all was based on his faith. We actually don't know the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. It wasn't Paul. But the author says that Abraham was convinced that God would raise his son from the dead. He was convinced of it. Why? Why would Abraham be convinced of this? It's because when he received the prophecy that he and his wife would conceive a son, both of them too old to have children, that this son would be the father of many nations. So imagine you're Abraham. God has given you this promise. You're going to conceive and bear a son, and through him, you will be the father of many nations. Then, miracle of miracles, it happens. You conceive and bear a son, something you thought impossible. And then, years later, God comes along and says, guess what, I want you to sacrifice him now to me. Again, you're Abraham. You've known God your whole life. You know his power. You've seen it in this child that you've received. You remember what God said to you. Through this child, you will be the father of many nations. And yet now God wants you to sacrifice him. What do you do? Sadly, many ignorant people think that God would never ask a father to sacrifice his son. They say that this is probably just some some crazy idea that the Old Testament Jews concocted for whatever particular reason. Anyone who thinks that is simply ignorant of the true God. It makes sense why God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son. You have to think about it from God's perspective. Our Lord is trying to find someone on earth through whom he can create a great nation and send his own son into the world to save us from sin. This is the Father's design. So you can imagine God the Father, century after century, is looking throughout humanity, looking for that one man who can be the father of many nations, ultimately the father of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're God the Father, what kind of father are you going to look for? You're going to look for a man who's just like you. If you want the father of the fathers of the Israelites to be like you, he has to have a similar mind and heart to yours. The greatest act that we know of, of the Heavenly Father, is his willingness to sacrifice his only son out of love for us. So you see, it was necessary that Abraham be tested in this way. Is he worthy to receive the grace to be the father, ultimately, 
the progenitor of Jesus Christ, my only son. I've wondered if God actually didn't test other men throughout history before Abraham. Maybe give them miraculous children, then ask them to sacrifice their son, and they were like, there's no way, I'm not going to do it. And the Lord shook his head and said, okay. And then went on to the next one. I mean, God doesn't have to trial and error. God already knows who to choose. But in the end, that's what he was looking for. Abraham had to be tested in this way. He had to prove, first and foremost, that he had absolute confidence and trust in God. Even when he did not understand his will, he submitted to it because of his faith. And then he tested him by asking him to do the very same thing that he, as God the Father, would do for all of us. Our Lord is testing us in the same way. Not the exact same way, but in essence the same way. He will give you promises... And then he will fulfill those promises to show you that he is trustworthy. Then he'll up the ante. Then he'll give you a request, a command, ask something of you, and see how you respond. You know how I've taken care of you in the past. Do you still trust me? What if I ask something more of you than I've ever asked before? It's in those moments that most of us, out of fear, and anxiety, because of a weakness of faith, we say, Lord, I just can't, I can't do it, Lord. It's too much for me. And the Lord says, that's okay, okay. He's a, he's a patient God. He's a gentle God. He's not going to condemn you just for that. But he'll try again. The saints teach that in this spiritual life as we're striving to grow, most of us don't get very far before we die. Because at the testing point... It can be so difficult to trust, especially when we don't fully understand that we fail the test. Our Lord doesn't abandon us. You can still get to heaven. He's merciful. Just don't give up your faith altogether. We see in the greatest of the saints the fact that they passed these tests. They, in the end, had such a complete centered faith in Jesus Christ, and his promises of the graces of the sacraments in his church, the kingdom of heaven on earth, and the promise of the kingdom of heaven in heaven, that they were willing to sacrifice anything if the Lord asked it of him. And this is what Jesus is telling us in the gospel. If you truly put your faith totally in the kingdom of heaven, this gift that the Father has given to you, then Go ahead and sell your belongings and give alms to the poor. He says, provide money bags for yourselves that do not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven that no thief can reach nor moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Now, practically, what does that look like? The highest form of that on earth is the religious man and woman, the nun, the brother, the sister, the monk. These are individuals who have so completely embraced this teaching of our Lord that they've literally given up everything. And they will live in this vow of poverty for the rest of their life so as to put the kingdom of heaven first and foremost in their heart. Now, for you families, that's not practical. 
you're actually not supposed to do that. Sometimes families think I have to live religious poverty. Actually, the saints teach you not to do that because your vocation is to care for your family, the well-being of your family, to raise up more Christians for Christ and his church. Obviously, with the vow of poverty comes also the vow of chastity. They're not raising up children, offspring after them. You don't have to be worried about retirement and medical bills and emergencies. So there is a practical way in which we do need to be prudent with our finances. Several of the saints who comment on this tell you, try to get a raise, get more money, get a better job. That's all good. More money, you can provide better for your family. And you can give more money to the church. Not going to refuse that. It's twice in a week I've mentioned that, hasn't it? It's okay, we're doing fine. But the thing you have to keep in mind as laymen and women who are seeking to follow Christ in this way is you can't be attached to these physical things, these possessions, this money. If God comes to you and says, no, I want you to give it up, would you be willing to do so? Or would you be, no, Lord, this is my house. This is my car. These are my children. You can't have them. Well, you know what our Lord asked of Abraham. Nothing more than he gave himself. But don't think for a moment he won't possibly ask the same of you. Even your children don't belong to you. They're his. He has simply given them to you on loan, entrusted them to your care until he's ready to take them back. Technically, you don't even belong to yourself. You're his property. God made you. Why do you think he can punish souls for eternity? Because he has a right to be obeyed. First and foremost, God is not your father. You need to remember this. First and foremost, God is your creator and master. He made you. You are property. I'm property. Ultimately, that's all we are. But he wants more than that. He wants us to be a family. He wants to be our father. That's why he sent his son. That's why in and through Christ, we become sons of God. But if you refuse that grace, that gift, what does he say will happen? The servant who knew his master's will but did not make preparations nor act in accord with his will, shall be beaten severely. And the servant who was ignorant of his master's will, but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating, shall be beaten only lightly. Everybody will get punished for rejecting God's will, those who know his will and those who don't. The ignorant will get off a little easier because they were ignorant. Us, Catholics, oh no. We, we get the severe beating. And then he ends the very famous phrase, you may be familiar from Spider-Man, much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. When I was ordained to the priesthood, soon after my father gave me a bobblehead of Spider-Man. I have it either in the sacristy or in my office. And he quoted that line, with much power, 
comes great responsibility. It's like, oh, thanks, Dad. That line simply comes from our Lord. We have been given much, and for that reason, more will be expected of us. More will be expected of us. Don't be afraid of this. You have to remember that the gift that is offered to us is far greater than any cost to ourselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.